Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Growth Leap. I'm your host, Michel Gagnon. We talk to pretty awesome business builders who are designing disruptive and meaningful companies. Our guest today wants to bring transparency to the environmental impact of our online shopping. Marissa Liu is co-founder of Neutral, a browser extension that allows users to understand and offset the CO2 emissions generated by the products that they buy online. The startup is on a roll. Uh, Neutral has been selected by the Mozilla Builders Incubator and was recently featured in Fast Company. We talk about the challenges of prioritization in product development, finding product market fit, women in tech, and a lot more. Enjoy the show. Hi, Marisa. Uh, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you with us. How are you? I'm doing well. Marisa, you're the co-founder of Neutral a uh, browser extension that allows users to understand how much greenhouse gas they're emitting with every purchase they make. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the middle of a global pandemic during which e-commerce has massively boomed. The Amazon stock price grew by, I think, 40%, maybe more as we speak since uh, mid-March. Can you tell us a bit about the product and maybe what's the business model behind it? Like you said, Neutral is a browser extension that reports the estimated carbon footprint of purchases that you make on sites like Amazon. And then second to that, allows users to offset their emissions by donating to NGOs who are fighting the climate crisis at checkout. As far as our business model, what we do is because we do, in a way, recommend users at the end of their purchase to offset their emissions, we charge a processing fee on top of each offset a user makes. And then in the long run, as we develop neutral into a sort of marketplace, we hope to also develop a sort of affiliate marketing program, in which we introduce as many sustain recommend, introduce and promote as many sustainable companies and committed environmentally committed companies as we can um, to shoppers. And, and where are you? Uh, I think you launched uh, earlier this year. Where are you exactly in, the, in terms of product development? And A few friends and I started Neutral back in February at a hackathon call at Stanford University called TreeHacks. And over the weekend, we were incredibly committed to just building a solution to mobilize communities of people to join the fight against the climate change, or called the climate crisis. And by the end of the weekend, we actually won the hackathon and received this overwhelming support from a lot of the hackers and, and sponsors in the event. And so since then, we've been working continuously, especially now that we have so much free time during in quarantine, working continuously on neutral and developing neutral. So yes, we are quite early stage. We've been working on neutral for about six months now. And we recently received seed funding from the Mozilla Fix the Internet Incubator Program. So that's certainly exciting. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Congrats. <laughs> to see, yeah, to see this come into fruition and, and see not just only ourselves championing, championing our mission, but in terms of... So that's a sort of gist of where we are right now. Mm -hmm. In terms of the product development side, we're currently in the stage of proving product market fit and softening the edges on our MVP. Our audience may not know, but you are, you are a fourth year, I believe, undergrad student in Canada. You study computer science and mathematics. Is uh, neutral just, uh, I don't want to say a bump in the road because it would be a positive bump 
Is it a real thing? What's your vision? Yeah, I, th- I think it, you raise a great question. We certainly <laughs> are all wrapping up our undergraduate programs and tr- at the finish line to get our degrees. Yeah, I would say on behalf of my team, we're all in neutral for the long run. We do genuinely believe this has the potential to become a successful startup and and company in the future. It's more so at this point, we're just trying to finish up our degrees and really work on neutral um, as much as we can. You came up with the idea the hackathon, it's a product and a cause to a certain extent that is that we believe in ourselves and that definitely will help uh, make the, the world a better place. How do you come up with the idea? Was Is this something that, you know, you've been thinking about with your friends, you know, for the past yeah. five years or it's something that you said, oh, we're in a hackathon, we need to come up with something? I think before we all started Neutral, we were a group of students who, in our own ways, all contributed to the fight against the climate crisis. Some of us were involved with, some of us have done everything from changing our diets to signing petitions, challenging local governments. And in general, I think we all came in before we came into true hacks of anything. We were all had this inherent dissatisfaction with the inaction we saw in society and the government and governments around um, the climate crisis. And so I think at tree hacks, it was the catalyzing moment where we had this weekend to really put our brains together and come up with a tangible solution to this problem that we've all in our own ways um, grappled with. And so moving before tree hacks, we were certainly interested in this problem. I think it was at tree hacks where we really had the opportunity, the time and the space to build something um, and take action on it. We came in and just wanted to build something that could help as many communities of people take action against to take action in the climate crisis. And so we dug our teeth into as much research as we could and noticed that, especially when you look into the environmental impact of our shopping habits, it turns out our hats are, our habits are actually making a serious dent on the planet. Um, I believe there was a statistic we came across in which over a year, Amazon emitted 15 million tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, delivering packages to our doorstep and through third-party transportation. And so we built Neutral or came up with Neutral because we truly thought there needed to be a way to transparently and easily inform users about the environmental impact of their online shopping, especially with the rise of these expedited on-demand services. We thought ever more so it was crucial to allow people to really understand the impacts of the wasteful production, packaging, and the large amount of transport miles it takes to deliver these sort of orders on a consistent and expedited basis to our doorstep. And so we hoped through Building Neutral, we could induce this, reintroduce this sort of eco-consciousness in a way and, and mindfulness to consumers to be more prudent about what, when, and how they consume in a way. You're not just uh, telling the users how much greenhouse gas emission the shipping is uh, generating, right? It's also the actual product, mm-hmm. how it was built, and let's say the expected footprint uh, it's going to have over over time, correct? Yes. What's included in this carbon footprint calculation is the entire life cycle of this estimated life cycle of this product. 
from its production to the transportation, its usage, and eventual um, what destruction, the entire life cycle of the product. The interesting question is how like how do you actually come up with that calculation? Yeah, um, in order to calculate or provide this estimated carbon footprint, what we do is we basically use Google's NLP API to categorize the products that you're searching for on Amazon into their specific their respective product categories, and then using a database that we've sourced online, um, the car- specifically the Carbon Scope data database. This, they're actually one of the largest and most com- comprehensive LCI databases in North America. Mm-hmm. We take this database of average carbon footprints per dollar cost of a product in a given category and apply that multiple onto the price of any sort of product on Amazon. To break it down more simply, we categorize the product on Amazon and then we apply a respective average carbon footprint onto the price of that good to provide the estimated carbon footprint. So by um, so you're going kind of um, you know a step further with what you would see with some e-commerce um, uh, companies who are sometimes giving you the opportunity to offset the shipping. You are going you know a step further and say, well, there's beyond the shipping, there's the actual production and usage of that product. Some products yeah. are more environmentally friendly than others. Uh, so you create that awareness. And then the next step is you also allow uh, the user to offset that mm-hmm. uh, footprint over the entire life cycle. Correct? Yeah. Great. And, and I, think, I think you have about uh, 300 plus, maybe 500 now users. How did you actually attract them? Up until this point, a lot of our traction or our... Um, user base has come from reaching out to climate activists, young parents, green lifestyle and parenting blogs to try neutral and, and share them to their network. So we've definitely done as much sort of um, community building and outreach as we can to these sort of demographics. Apart from that, we've also see, certainly received a lot of reception on our product hunt launch, which was great. As well as from publications or newsletters that have covered the cohort teams within the Mozilla program. So it's been a mix of our own outreach as well as just uh, reception from Product Hunt and uh, the Mozilla Incubator program. I'm assuming that it's your first startup. Yes. <laughs> it's been <laughs> you, an interesting ride. Yeah. Well, that's my question. There was a, uh, an interesting uh, report that came up last month. It's a study that was done in the UK by Creator Fund, which is a, a VC that is focused solely on backing startups in universities. And I think it was it's backed by the Founders Factory. And they came up, they ran a study with startups in the universities. And I mean, the numbers are very interesting. We'll talk about female founder a bit later. They said 40% of, of startups in university are from female founders which I think is, is not necessarily, a, it's actually a pretty good number based mm-hmm. on what we've seen in the past. A lot of startups in the UK in universities are also very international. So a lot of international students are involved. My question mm-hmm. to you is, since it's your first one and you're still a student, what's been the toughest so far? Is it the actual coding of the product? Is it the business plan? 
Is it the thinking more about marketing and customer acquisition? What, do you, what have you found the most challenging? That's a great question. I think to narrow it down, there certainly have been a lot of challenges over the past six months. And I believe that actually building the product has been the least of them. <laughs> it's more so been everything. Said, said the computer it. science major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more so been. I, I think if anything, the reason why building the actual products is easy because is that when you run into a bug or any sort of technical issue, the answers are all online and very clear to yeah. you. As far as how to grow this into a successful startup, that framework or that success framework is much more is definitely not as concrete. And so I think the biggest challenge has been answering the question about how we grow neutral. We've experimented with so many different strategies. And I think that it is, at least for our mentors, that seems to be the right way to go about it. Just testing every sort of um, outreach strategy you can think of until one or a few start to stick. But the main thing has been um, we want to be ambitious and obviously grow our user base as much as we can, but that sort of path to hit 1,000 users, 10,000 users, whatever it may be, has so, been so undirected. And so it's more so been navigating that ambiguity that's been difficult on our end. Second to that, I think it's been prioritization as a team. We have so many different ambitions for what neutral can become and so many exciting feature sets that we want to build. but because we are very early stage and want to maximize, obviously maximize our growth as much as possible and make sure that the time we spend on neutral is towards the right efforts in its initial stages. Um, it's been difficult being decisive about what sort of features are the highest to prioritize uh, at any given moment, because we certainly just want to do everything. But that's the main challenge. I talked to Christian Bezos, project manager at, at LinkedIn, and um, <laughs> a while back. And I mean, if you even if you have a thousand product owners and engineers, uh, it's never enough, right? There's always yeah. something. So you know, picking what you work on is always very challenging. I also find that sometimes you know when you have something like what you have right now, which is a good idea that's getting you know attracting attention. Sometimes it, it's easy to think about, look, it could become this and that and this. <laughs> and, you know, you look like five, maybe years ahead. But the challenge is to kind of to bridge the gap between that five-year vision or 10 or 20, which is inspiring and great, and bridge a gap between then and, and now, right? One thing that you talked about, you've talked about prioritization features and all of that. One thing that it, and users and growth... Mark Roberge, I don't know if you know him, is partner at uh, Stage 2 Capital, a former um, CRO at HubSpot. I really like the guy, uh, like his approach, like his, <laughs> his thinking. And one of the key things that he's talking about is, you know, in the VC world, we, we often talk about triple, triple, double, double, which is, you know, you need to, to grow fast, right? And what he talks about is that maybe the most important indicator to be able to determine product market fit. It's not so much user acquisition, but it's user retention. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about your users, how do you actually look at this? And when you say you have like 450 users, are they, how do you actually define them? Are they users who actually downloaded 
the, the extension? Are they active users? And if they're active, how do you define them? 450 users refers to the number, obviously, our downloads. Mm-hmm. As far as how we track our, or define what active users are, I think something we agreed on was that we, as a team, we define our success on neutral as our growing influence on shoppers to adopt more sustainable lifestyles. And so what that means for our product currently is how effectively we can take, we can encourage users to take one of three options, which would be either redirecting users to buy a green alternative, offsetting their purchase, or boycotting their purchase entirely. And so the best way we can translate that sort of impact or that sort of influence into a metric is through weekly, what we defined as weekly active users. And so any user who interacts with our carbon footprint and clicks more into the, clicks into the carbon impact report for details, any user that engages with our offset, our offset feature and makes an offset or purchases a sustainable alternative, which we provide labels for throughout the Amazon search process or the search page, we define as a active user. You know, you said earlier that neutral is something that you're committed to. You'd like to see it grow and and become more and more successful. If we talk again a year from now, what would be your definition of success? That's a great question. I think in a year from now, what I would define as success is that we've been able to successfully build a community around neutral about with a community of people who genuinely deeply care about changing their lifestyle, challenging local governments and pushing for corporate and governmental change. I think over the next year or so, what that may translate to within the product would be creating a marketplace of sustainable companies that can really drive forward our mission of combating climate change. So I think when we've developed a sort of center that we where we can redirect users to support more environmentally committed companies, I would be certainly excited by that sort of development as well. We are, like I said, back to the community component, it would be wonderful. And then if in the next year, we can build a sort of social feature into neutral where through our platform, users can engage with their friends and encourage others to reduce the carbon footprint of their online shopping, reduce the amount of online shopping they partake in. And on a even broader than that, beyond the social component, it would be wonderful to actually be an aggregator of carbon footprint reporting. So something that we've certainly dealt with in the past six months of developing this is that it's so painfully difficult to find transparent carbon footprint reporting for different companies. I think if we can be a sort of aggregator that promotes and pushes corporations to make this sort of data transparent, that would certainly make our product development process much easier. But also, I think it pressures corporations to decarbonize their supply chains and allows us as consumers to keep them accountable. So I touched on three major points over the next year. How I'm interested how you're approaching product development or how you've, you've approached product development so far. How do you actually pick what you're going to work on? Did you manage to get interactions with your, with some of the users? What's your methodology so far? 
we conduct user interviews with our as many of our core users on a regular basis. And our strategy right now to prioritize which of those features we should be immediately working on is we first identify the core or main points of friction in their user experience and then in a way choose what we deem to be the highest pain point or the highest point of friction. Mm-hmm. Right now, our the main sort of product challenge we have is that we've been able to bring this emotional reaction to our users as they come to terms with their footprint. I'm not sure if you felt that same reaction as you saw the, the first uh, carbon impact report on a product on Amazon, but this immediate reaction typically when people first engage with neutral is this immediate sorts of guilt. And so the crux of our product challenge right now and actually has been a really helpful way to guide our product development strategy has been to build features around remediating that guilt as quickly as possible. And so the initial sort of features that we've been developing and to combat or address that is building rewards around people purchasing greener alternatives. We um, offer labeling for products on Amazon that are uh, produced by B corporations and hope to expand that to more uh, climate certified companies as we move forward, rewarding users for purchasing carbon offsets. And in the future, what we hope to remediate this guilt is to build a feature set to actually have users engage with neutral with their friends. There's uh, maybe two or three things I want to touch on before I let you go. And one of the things I asked you earlier was, what's the toughest challenge that you have to deal with or you had to deal with 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 the business and building a startup i'd like to ask a similar question maybe maybe on the other on the other a different side or different perspective is what has helped you the most in starting a business because you're part of the mozilla's builders incubator i'm sure you have mentors and you know friends what do you feel has been the most helpful yeah i think it's definitely been the community that we've surrounded ourselves with so the Mozilla, firstly, the Mozilla mentors that we've worked with have been incredibly helpful in guiding us as far as, so in moments where we may want to prioritize a far-fetched feature, in a way, the mentors have grounded us. And first, we had a bit of difficulty with prioritizing which features were the most effective to be working on. We've gotten the hang of it now, but the mentors were crucial in that early stage of just actually to provide more context. There's a funny story. When we first joined the incubator lab, we walked into this incubator with a hackathon MVP or hackathon prototype. It was still buggy. There were a lot of fixes to be made. And we wanted the entire four or five weeks to build out a finished MVP and launch it. And then immediately in that first call we had with our mentors, they, were, they immediately said to us, no, 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 no. You do not need four weeks. Just spend two weeks fixing this prototype and building it, building the most effective features that you can to um, launch with and then just launch it in two weeks. And so instead of the four or five weeks that we would have spent putting our heads down and building this, we quickly learned how to, we quickly learned how to, what the momentum or the pace and heartbeat of a startup should be, which is just iterating on the highest impact features as quickly as you can and having this uh, iterative and constant feedback loop. In that process. So I think we've got definitely gotten that momentum down. Um, but the men- mentors are really helpful in guiding us in those early stages 
um, and helping us prioritize. And second to that has also been the I, I'm I recently have been very involved with a bunch of different climate focused communities. One of them being my climate journey, which is a wonderful podcast and community that touches that touches on and speaks and highlights uh, climate leaders in this space. Mm-hmm. That community has certainly been, I guess, very helpful in supporting um, the development of nature. A lot of people have provided product feedback and um, strategy advice on what where we can take neutral as well as just very it's very rewarding to just be surrounded by a bunch of other like-minded founders researchers and just technologists who are deeply interested in building solutions for this space so i think those two communities have been really crucial with ensuring neutral is on the right track and also keeping us motivated and focused on the right problems to summarize a bit, one of the things you've you've learned was to ship faster, right? Have yeah. shorter have shorter um, feedback loops so that you actually can you know if if it works in the real world, right? Yeah. The other thing that you mentioned about having being part of that community of, of people who actually care about you know fighting climate change, I'm interested to see if you've experienced a bit of contradiction. So far, because the the startup world and the VC world can sometimes be, I don't want to say interesting, but let's call it interesting. This idealization of growth, hockey stick type of growth of you are in a different game to a certain extent. Have you experienced that conflict, or I don't know if it's internal or with some folks that you've you you had to work with? Most certainly, yeah. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head. I personally would love to dedicate my efforts towards educating our users about the the climate crisis, writing newsletters and blogs and, and that sort of content, and also looking for opportunities to push push our users to get involved with their local governments. I, I deeply would love to focus my efforts towards this advocacy component mm-hmm. of neutral and this awareness component of neutral. There's a little tension between the focus on developing this into a sustainable business and what I personally want to do with neutral as from the advocacy standpoint. Obviously we need to focus and build this our payments flow, our offset payments flow and optimize it as much as possible so that this can be a sustainable business that um, generates sustainable revenue. And we've sort of seen a lot of our people we surround ourselves with pushing ourselves pushing us in that direction to really focus on generating revenue and generating for me personally it's been struggling with focusing on what i want to make out of neutral which is this advocacy component and also making sure that this can be a sustainable business that we can work on in the next five years from now i think that's been the main main thing for me for me personally one thing i wanted to talk about also because because we care about this, and I think you're um, you're a perfect person to share with us on the on the topic. You are a young woman who studies computer science and mathematics. You're also co-president of the Women in Technology Society. Really curious, you know. Earlier today, I referred to, um, I alluded to a, a report in the UK that mentioned forty percent of the the founders were female in, in universities in the UK. Uh, what's your view uh, on our progress um, or lack thereof uh, for for women in tech? Yeah, 
It's a great question. In the three years or so I've immersed myself in tech, I think I've slowly seen it progress. And maybe that's just my sort of the environments that I've selected to myself to be in. Starting as, as a first year student and securing my first internships, I was constantly the only female engineer mm-hmm. in the room yeah. in meetings. That's the exact same scenario that a lot of other female engineers find themselves in. And I think at those moments, I've spoken with countless female peers, um, even myself, where we walk into these rooms and we really feel like as we're the only female engineer, or even in my case, the female founder <laughs> on the team, some sometimes the thought comes up as to whether we're just inherently unfit to be computer scientists or programmers or founders, essentially whether we're really cut out for this. As I've progressed through the over these past three years, the environment certainly has gotten a bit better. Maybe I've certainly found myself a community at Women in Technology Society where I am completely comfortable and supported by obviously like-minded, brilliant female engineers. I think, yes, the progress and maybe some of the um, representation in these tech teams, these founding teams, may be getting better, but I think there still needs to be a substantial cultural shift. And I think actually a lot of companies may be starting to get the messaging right, but we need to make clear that this is not just a space for, this is a space for everyone. And specifically, this is a space for um, underrepresented minorities like female programmers. Um, I think a lot of my frustration as a woman in tech earlier on was that it really felt as though there were as I look through history, there was such a lack of recognition for specifically female programmers. If anything, I um, <laughs> this is a funny story. As I as I walk into my um, computer architecture organization course, there was a photo of these women on one of the introductory slide slide decks, and they were tinkering with this sort of big heart, this big machine that I had definitely came from the 1950s. And I, when I looked at that, I, I I looked at that and I thought, oh, they must be just models modeling in front of a, a computer. But I soon looking and I'm so frustrated with myself that I thought that. But looking as I dug more into the history of computer science, I noticed that those women in those photos were actually some of the earliest pioneers in this field. They were, I think uh, they were the first woman to work on the ENIAC. And so as I look more into this history of computing, I noticed that these women were actually some of the earliest pioneers of this field. Only a few decades or so after their work on programming the ENIAC, they were recognized for their work throughout history and had an actual document dedicated to uh, their contributions as the first modern professional programmers. Where as I look through history as a woman in computer science and a woman in tech, that these sort of earlier pioneers have gone without recognition. And I hope that as we continue through and progress through tech, that we really focus on building this culture that highlights female innovators and again, under and in general as a whole, underrepresented minorities for um, their work and hope that they continue to go with recognition rather than without. And do you think, and that's my hypothesis, do you think that, you know, we've talked about the, let's say the VC startup world of, you know, growth at all costs, you're building tech so that you can go public or, you know, that you can become the next billionaire. 
maybe if we start building businesses for other purposes, maybe this will also contribute to attracting, you know, different type of, of people as a whole, but also, mm -hmm. you know, attract maybe a, a bit more women. Yeah, definitely. I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. In fact, I think the best way to, for the best way for young technologists, even aspiring female programmers much younger than myself, I think the best way to introduce them to all the opportunities in tech and really make a space for them is to see like-minded leaders like themselves. I, and just to, back, to provide some context for that, I started out as an economics major um, when I joined university. And because I was able to engage with women in tech society and I was able to see so many inspiring, what I thought to be inspiring upperclassmen who were essentially um, paving the way in uh, <laughs> In tech, I definitely hop ship, made the jump. I took my computer first computer science course as an elective, really, truly enjoyed that first uh, formative experience and then completely made the jump um, into this field. The more we see that, that representation, the more we can inspire younger female technologists who have this misconception that tech really isn't for them, mathematics or STEM isn't for them, that they can make the bold decision to try it out and see that it really is. It's really something that they're interested in or could be interested in. Mm -hmm. But yes, I'm all for uh, more representation in, in um, the startup space. One thing that, you know, whenever we talk about diversity, one of the arguments that come up is the fact that, you know, it's very tough to have 50-50% engineers, you know, male-female when you post a job and two women show up and yeah. then, you know, the other 20 are, are men, right? And Sometimes people say, oh, you know, we need to pick the best. I don't think that's the issue. Yeah. I just think that, you know, sometimes the pool is smaller. So my question to you is, you're a student, you're taking computer science. What's the ballpark number that you would give me in terms of <laughs> representation in, in your oh computer gosh. science class? I want to say maybe 15 to 20% of my lectures have had a female representation. So we need to keep working on it. Yeah. Well. I don't want to take too much of your time because my day is, is ending in you, but yours is kind of starting. And, and based yeah. on all the features you uh, seem to have on, among other things, on the roadmap, I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, Marisa, thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time. Where is the best place to follow you? Yes, the best place to follow me would be uh, my Twitter, Marisa J L I U. And if you want to stay up to date with anything related to neutral, You can find Neutral on Twitter at Shop Neutral or on our website at shopneutral.io. Perfect. Thank you so much. Wishing you all the best. And maybe we talk again in 12 months. <laughs> yeah, do a progress check in at the 12-month mark. I'd love to uh, update you, certainly. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. As usual, you can find the show notes at stunena.com. Also, quick reminder, we've launched an online course called Growth Leap, Design Your Startup for High Performance and Impact. You can learn more at academy.stunena.com. Thanks a lot and see you soon.